Korea Jim's back, baby. And Benny sees right through him. <laughs> Welcome to the Rhetorizer. I'm Kevin Sexton here with my usual co-host, Jacob. Oh, hi. John's on a work trip. Roxanne's not here. I don't know why, but she's somewhere and she couldn't be here. She's um, on a not work trip is what she's doing. <laughs> I'm saying yeah. it now. <laughs> she's not doing anything. Um, but I'm here with my uh, my friend James Shepard is joining me, who's uh, staying in my house. Hello. Nice to be here. James, was that the first time you've heard the excessive amount of bass that uh, Kevin used in our intro theme? No. Oh. He played me, um, I guess, like the preview to the new season or whatever mm. when we first got here, and I commended the production acumen. Oh, great. All right. Cool. James, do you know anything about a genre called noir? Sure, yeah. I mean, more about film noir, though, right? Like, I was a big... Uh, I took a lot of film courses in university, but I've never read any noir novels, all I know is they're kind of pulpy. <laughs> that's the impression I have. Honestly, that's better than John with an H. Son, working understanding of noir when he started the series. So I think you're already ahead of the game. <laughs> All right, we're doing a short story today. It is called Homecoming by Dorothy B. Hughes. Uh, Jacob, why don't you tell us about Dorothy B. Hughes? Dorothy B. Hughes was uh, both a noir author as well as a prolific critic of stories written in the noir genre. And she had written a few novels that did really, really well and were adapted into Hollywood films, such as the Humphrey Bogart vehicle in A Lonely Place. Um, unfortunately, though, uh, she essentially abandoned the fiction writing part of her career for several years, owing to essentially domestic responsibilities. Unfortunately, we're talking, you know, the 40s and 50s and 60s, uh, okay. when essentially women had to give up uh, a lot of their working lives uh, to take care of their families if they had them. And so she kind of took like a long, I think it's like 20 or 25 year hiatus. She kept her job writing reviews of uh, noir fiction. And then she came back at the end of her career writing a novel called The Expendable Man in 1963, which we'll get to in another episode. But uh, the story we're writing today is the story we're writing. We're not writing anything. I'm taking credit for a hard working woman's work. No, the story we're reading today is The Homecoming, which is an early example of uh, one of her noir short uh, fiction pieces. I picked her for the series as sort of an interesting example of someone who uh, is both an art and a critic and to see what that brings to the genre compared to some of the other characters we have encountered and will continue to encounter throughout this season the other thing i was curious about reading her biography she was a journalist it seems like that is a common perfect like james m king was also a journalist before he became yeah but a, a failed like, one she was a successful one, he was so. no he was he, he was like <laughs> the top editor of the new yorker like they were like, it's like it seems like a common progression, journalist to noir fiction person. Yeah, at least at least in this period, I think a lot of the people we encountered uh, are going to be journalists of some stripe. Although we have at least one fail oil executive, we'll be talking about later. <laughs> don't forget, don't forget that James F. Gay was a failed uh, opera singer. Yeah, he was a failed a lot of things: failed insurance adjuster, failed opera singer, successful journalist. <laughs> and anyway. I guess, I guess we know which one is the hardest now. 
James, if you ever fail as a brewer, you can become a noir fiction. Yeah, brewer noir for sure. <laughs> <laughs> hey, maybe you can make a cool beer called like a noir and it can taste like cigarettes. All right, we're working on it. Nice. <laughs> All right. So Homecoming, is there anything special about the story or is this just kind of like, it's in this anthology that we have, the best American noir of the 20th century, of the century, sorry. I don't know if I'd classify it as the best of the century, but we can get to that. Okay. Maybe we'll give James the honors of summarizing this story. What happens, Korea James? Sure. I mean, two key characters. You've got Benny and you have uh, Korea Jim. (laughs) <laughs> and then you also have um the the dame man yes man. man which confused me actually initially because i thought it was he was talking about a grandmother the name is kind of introduced yeah. incidentally it doesn't really have a natural introduction all of a sudden it's nan and you're like oh and then you figure it out um so anyways benny is has kind of been jilted by nan and the story is benny crashing nan and Jim's party with a gun. <laughs> That's basically how it goes down. <laughs> it's tight. It's compact. Seven pages. I mean, it gets there, gets to the point, and then it gets out. And it concludes, you know, where he's going. You know, the green light. <laughs> yeah, I have some questions about the green light, but maybe we'll get there later. Okay. Uh, Jacob, yeah, what, what were your first impressions of this story? Hmm. First impressions of this story... Um, one, uh, Dorothy B. Hughes is a demented old vixen. Uh, this was terrifying. Two, this is a little bit different, I think, than some of the, the format we've encountered with our boy James Malahan, Kane, where his is often we have a lot of adultery going on, and it's from the perspective of at least one of the adulterers, and it's, you know, they might get away with it, and then, oh, uh, that's not how this works. The people in noir novels are not the people who get away with it. This is a little bit different in the sense that it's told from the perspective of someone who has been adultered on, sort of, but not really. Sort of. Sort of. A sort jilted of. lover. Yeah, was highly a man, jilted. Unusually. A man yeah. who is a jilted lover. That's right. He couldn't keep up with the Korea gyms of this world. Um, and so... Yeah, it's a lot. It's a lot darker. I mean, there's a couple of funny kind of observations in it, but I, I think it's leaning more towards almost the gothic and doom part of the noir equation than it is to some of the sort of funny, sort of ironic parts of it that we've seen earlier in this series. But yeah, th- that's my two cents. Yeah. So as James said, yeah, basically the story is a guy with a gun getting off a streetcar and going to shoot his former girlfriend's lover um but the funny thing about it is like korea jim who benny hates korea jim because korea jim's not a fan korea jim (laughs) is the guy that everyone loves he always does the right thing he's conscripted the korean war as soon as he could unlike benny who had to wait until he was drafted and then got a shittier job everyone loves korea jim and and korea jim has taken benny's woman who like won't answer his phone calls anymore but it's revealed later on that Korea Jim was actually originally dating Nan. And then like when he went off to Korea, when he conscripted to Korea to become a war hero, Benny was like, this is my chance. And he moved in. <laughs> and then when Korea Kim came back, he started dating Nan again. And now Benny's like this fucking guy. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Can't believe it. He can have anyone he wants except my Nan. Yeah. but like Again, Nan who is not answering his calls basically by the beginning of the story. Yeah, but like you only actually find out that Korea Jim was Nan's original boyfriend like quite late into the story. 
he sort of feels impotent, right? He's just like uh, so upset about this guy. Like even at the point when he actually finally gets to Nan's house and Korea Jim's just like, why don't you put on a record, Benny? And he's like, that fucker. Like he's always <laughs> telling me to put on a record. He knows I don't have any good records. <laughs> uh, yeah, so it's this weird psychology of, of, of feeling uh, lesser than the war hero, I suppose. And it goes to a dark place. Hey, James, you've never read The War before. What do you think of the kind of writing and language in this story? There's some goofy lines. I can't think of them off the top, but there's oh, a couple just something. turns a phrase where you're like, hmm, is that how they talked back then? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> it's like I just ate a bunch of green apples. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, man. <laughs> yeah, he ate a bunch of green apples, which, which made him, yeah. Made him like laugh hysterically as was, like a murderer. As if, <laughs> as if he had eaten green apples. <laughs> I mean, I mean, the first, it doesn't get to a good start. I gotta say, it was a dark night, a small wind night, the night on which evil things could happen, might happen. Yeah, that's, that's just getting words on paper. Let's <laughs> <laughs> well, like get that? going with the, the story here. I mean, it's basically, it was a dark and stormy night, which is like a, a, a parody of how bad an opening to a story could be. It's a great opening. That's why people have been using it for hundreds of years. <laughs> you have a better opening? You say it right now. I, Korea Jim was back, and I was fucking mad about it. <laughs> um, she also talks about the things you'd hear at a too old forest place. Um, warped elbows scraping together in lonely nakedness. Yeah, there's some interestingly flowery language in there, but it's just like, sometimes you're like, it's a reach. I don't know. I kind of like that. It was sort of establishing that it's like, you know, you got this like dark foreboding and then she's describing almost a kind of like primordial scene, right? It's like we're dealing with elemental stuff here. You know, it's not like the city. You can't put the artificial nature of urbanism on top of where we're going here. We're going straight into darkness. You know, I don't know. I thought that was an interesting way to sort of, you know, cue things up. But uh, okay, you know, not to everyone's taste. That's fine. I did like his fingers were soft as her hair. Oh, which I thought yeah. was a really, really weird and off-putting line. When he's dropping the pistol after, yeah, after everything's gone down. Do you have any favorite lines in there, Jacob? Because to me, like this is what I was afraid of when we when you said we were going to do a season on noir. I thought it was all going to be like this. Mm. Okay, so this is this is sorry. I thought we were going to get a little deeper into the season before we encountered like your worst sort of fears of what a noir season would be. And we'll still get there because I already know which one you're already going to hate. But I'm surprised that this is this was tripping you up in, in terms of, uh, I don't know, this, this is, this is look, I got bad news for you, Kevin. It's going to get a lot worse uh, <laughs> in terms oh, no. of this kind of thing. Uh, uh, this is uh, this is nothing. But uh, no, I don't know. Um, I, I liked it. I just, I like that it's like, you have this whole scene that's sort of playing out in his mind one way. And it's like you're inside the psychology of an extremely deluded person, right? It's like he's sort of rehearsing how things are going to go before he gets there. But like there's always this distance between what he thinks is going to happen or even what's already happened uh, and what has happened and what's going to happen, right? It's like he has this gun, but he like still thinks this is going to work out. Where, like, Nan's going to be like, oh, well, why didn't you say you had a gun? Get out of here, Korea Jim. And then he's going to be like, beat it, pal. And then Korea Jim's going to be like, oh, I'm terrified of you, even though I just served in the fucking Korean War. Like, you know, anyway, um, so there's, like, always this interesting distance between, and, like, the distance gets, like, further and further apart. Um, 
the the later you get into the story mm. um and i thought that was an interesting effect where he's always rehearsing how this is gonna go and how this is all gonna work well for him and it's like actually uh the way this is gonna go is you're gonna kill the person you love and then you're gonna go to jail and probably get the chair that's that's probably how that's gonna go for you benny but there's something interesting in the language about halfway through so so for, for the majority of the story as you said it's just like Benny walking to Nan's house where he knows Korea Jim is going to be uh, with his gun and he's going to save the date or whatever, win the woman. Um, and then like halfway through, it says she didn't say anything. She was looking at Jim. He, Benny, had put a hot number on the phonograph, a new Les Brown, and he said, come on, Nan, let's start the joint jumping. He'd had enough of Jim showing off, et cetera, et cetera. But this is like before he actually arrives. Did you, did, did either of you catch that? Or were either of you like tripped up on that? Yeah. Because it says later, like Benny knew that night what was going to happen. It's like weird. It keeps jumping backwards and forwards in time as he's getting closer to Nan's house. Yeah, I, I suppose I was a little bit confused on the timeline. I thought that was harkening back to an event that had already happened when I read it. That was what I got out of it. That could be too. Yeah, I, I had assumed that they had been, this was like hearkening back to when he put a record on for Nan and everything was good because Jim was in the war still and they were having a good old time or whatever. That was what I got out of it. Yeah, there's another possible reading of it, which is this like the whole thing, because the whole thing is largely like, it's a third person omniscient kind of writing, but it's kind of from Benny's point of view. Yeah, it's, uh, I think it's called um, Free and Direct Narration. James Wood, James okay. Wood talks about how fiction works, but it's, you know, it's just the idea that like it's a third-person omniscient narrator, but the language yeah. of the narrator changes to match kind of the sort of state of mind of the character. So it's not really something like Virginia Woolf um, stream of consciousness kind of thing, because like, there is a third-person narrator, and it's relatively grammatical and stuff. But there is something going on where it takes on the flavor of the troubled mind of young Benny. Yeah, and I think there there is something interesting there where at first I was just confused and trying to follow, but I'm like, maybe that's intentional. His mind is clearly not functioning correctly. Yeah. Maybe this, this, the, the, the prose is kind of him slipping in and out of reality and, and, and through time. And yeah, I totally get that, where he's very deluded. He's going on this mission. It Like, it was interesting you mentioned earlier where he's going there to save the day. I thought with the gun, he was going there to end things. I thought that was kind of the implication was it's a noir. He's a, an unsavory character who's been jilted and he's going there to do them in. <laughs> that was the impression I got the whole time. Oh. But he's also a guy whose mom kept him out of the war because she reminded him that he gets a cough in the winter, which he did get. <laughs> so he shouldn't have signed up for the draft. <laughs> he's also a guy who looks at Korea Jim and sees... Oh, he's had it so easy. Look, he's a hero and he like killed people and his friends died. He was in the war for Christ's sakes. Yeah, he had all the luck to serve in the Korean War, which is terrible. Yeah, he had to go right away and become a hero. It's like people died beside him. It's fucked. <laughs> yeah, that's interesting because you're right, James. It is like that is where you assume it's going. You assume he's going to show up, he's going to kill Korea Jim. And yes. He's gonna, you know, but actually, he does show up and kill Korea Jim. <laughs> <laughs> and then also kills dad and then he's like oh no i didn't want to kill anybody it's like well what what, what were you planning here bud yeah what was the alternative 
that's the the interesting thing about the narration is that earlier on in the story it seems like even though it's obvious to any reader like well why the fuck else is he going there with the gun like it seems to be in his mind the way the narration sets it up is that he thinks there's some positive outcome to this where like korean jim just like cowers away and then nan's like oh i love you again you know like just like i think that's how he thinks it's supposed to go but there's zero percent chance that's happening <laughs> this is never gonna happen no i'd also suggest maybe he hasn't thought it through i don't i'm sorry to speak poorly of benny but uh, seems like he's not a type of man who thinks things through end to end. It's like you're getting, you're not getting the main character story. Korea Jim's the main character, <laughs> yeah. and he's like the side character who comes in at the end and kills Korea Jim. He's like the interloper. He was banging his girlfriend when he was at war for Christ's sake, and he comes and kills him. Like that's what happened. <laughs> It's true. It's interesting. And it is interesting in a noir context, right? Like he's not the, he, he is very much not the hero. He's the bad guy in the story. And he's the one who gets to own the story. It's his story. Yeah. Right. He's going to go to that police station that he passed. You know, there's the whole irony of him passing the police station on the way in. He's like, well, nothing bad can happen as long as you're near the police station. They'll take care of everything. And it's like, no, you are the bad thing. <laughs> Dude, like you are the thing that cops ex- should exist to stop. There's no such thing as a perfect crime, but there is such a thing as a perfect book. And you can find it at Perfect Books on Elgin and Somerset in downtown Ottawa, where you can read about all the crimes that go horribly wrong in season two of The Redorizer. Every perfect scheme has this completely unforeseen and inevitable flaw that will bring the whole house of cards crashing down. So read all about it. Come down to Perfect Books. And you can talk to people about all of your get-rich-quick schemes, and maybe you'll find a willing collaborator or two. Yeah, thank you, Perfect Books, for sponsoring us. They are carrying all of our books for this season. John with an H could not be here today, but he did provide this jingle for us, which he recorded on his phone. Where do you go when you want to read about crooks? Perfect Books! Where do you go when you want to have really nice words for you to take a look at? Perfect books. Perfect books. Buy them books. Perfect books. Buy them books. Perfect books. Thank you, Jonathan H. Thank you, Perfect Books. (laughs) Here's another question. So when, when Benny gets there, Nan's being unkind to him understandably and korea jim's kind of like oh just come on put on a record which pisses off benny so much have a coke um, <laughs> yeah have a coke yeah you think i'm a child um <laughs> i know you drink gin korea jim yeah and she, she tells him to nan nan tells him to leave and jim's like upset he's like nan you shouldn't have said that nan um and he's like he's she he was talking to her soft now like she was the child it wasn't right to say that Benny's come here to see you. How did you read that? Uh, one sec. I'm just finding that right here. It's on page 80. Yeah. No, this is not an 80-page story. This is an anthology. No, no. <laughs> page 7. 7 page seven story. Or whatever, yeah. <laughs> yeah, um, I think it's... I think it's. I, I kind of wondered at that point if it's like Korea Jim has figured out that Benny is packing heat 
and yeah, perhaps definitely. man has not noticed and then jim's like oh we need to de-escalate like right mm-hmm. now <laughs> you know yeah because uh, i think like nan is like referenced or she's about to reference anyway that um she's just been talking to korea jim about how she never wants to see benny again and then jim's maybe a little bit like oh fuck i was hoping not to say that right now say that right now yeah tonight's more of like a record and coke night and maybe another time on the phone you can tell him you never want to see him again you know like, that's that was kind of how i read that part of the the scene i I think it's referenced earlier when he's on his trip over there like the weight of the gun in his pocket and how he thinks people can perceive it or something like that like he alludes to that as well so it it maybe foreshadows that uh jim's gonna notice it yeah and there's actually a great delusional moment when he's on the streetcar and he's like wondering what would happen if someone noticed it. And he's like, oh, well, I'll just tell them. And we're going to get my girlfriend back from Korea Gym. And they totally understand. <laughs> it's like, oh, go on then. Yeah. It's, oh, why did you say so? It's a totally normal and good reason to have a gun, Benny. Oh, you, but you go on your way, young man. Early 60s America, maybe that was normal. Oh, this might be earlier. Sorry. This might be a 40s or 50s story. 60s is later. In, was, uh, well, it was. Okay, let's see. After Korea, the Korean is, War. Korea War is like in the 50s. So yeah, okay. early, early Late 50s, 50s, mid 50s. Yeah, okay. Either way, I feel like the proliferation of firearms in the States took place after the 50s or 60s. <laughs> yeah. That was more like a 90s, 2000s thing. Yeah, yeah, but it's like, well, you're just going to get your, your sweetheart back from this, you know, hip guy that everyone loves. Like, I get it. Yeah, sure. Bring Take your, your gun, man. Have your have your, have your time. <laughs> uh, simpler time. <laughs> Should we get to the ending here? Well, I mean, to surmise it, after he's shot both of them, he kind of has a panic about it, understandably, I guess, and he tries to convince himself that they're going to like get up, but they're not going to get up. So he drops the gun and he leaves basically in shock and he starts to kind of walk, I guess, back the way he came or I don't know if it's further. It doesn't really matter, but he sees the green light. And I think the implication is that he's going to go turn himself in. He, he knows that he's left the gun there. He obviously he would be the guy like, so I think it's, he has sealed his fate. So that's what, when it says he knew then where he was going, where he must go, you think he's talking to turning himself in? I think so, because earlier the green light is the police station, right? When he's mm. walking up to mm. the police, the green light, the police station, I'm safe, nothing bad can happen, he kills two people, then he sees a green light, I think he's saying... I mean, whether he's going there now or not, I think he knows that the jig is up. Mm-hmm. I think this is a great moment where it's like, there's. I think there's like two different kind of freudian psychological things going on here one of them is is like the sort of denial that he has like the narration of when he shoots korea jam and nan is really interesting because it it almost skips over the part where he pulls the trigger it's like they just Mm -hmm. kind of fall Mm -hmm. down and he's like why are you guys being weird it's like kind of like like how it's narrated where it's just like he's like look at them they're like looking they're like children or dolls like that's what's wrong with them you know and it's like i didn't mean to do it i you know like i was just fooling around and then it's like it takes them a long time to realize that they're dead and i think part of that final realization at the end when he's going to turn himself in is is that he's been in denial this whole time about how this plan Mm -hmm. is supposed to work and then now that he's like slowly accepted that actually he did just kill his ex and korea jim that it's like oh like maybe i should turn myself in because i 
this did not go at all the way I was intending it to go and maybe never would have worked out that way, you know? And, and so I think that's, that's, that's the one thing um, uh, psychologically that I thought was really effective about how this story worked where and it's like really disturbing, I think, to read that kind of psychology of someone, right? Who's doing something that's like completely insane and, violent you know and and doesn't sort of realize it till after it's happened that that's what he's been planning all along mm-hmm. yeah like the, the moment when he actually shoots korea jim it's jim's trying to de-escalate and then it says now is benny's time to laugh but the gun made too much noise nobody could have heard him laughing with all that noise it's so like on first reading it didn't even quite register in my mind that that he had shot him yeah and they tell him to get up, you know, it's like, even though the preceding, yeah. the preceding paragraph to get up is, you know, it says, uh, uh, they look like shadows, the two of them, big shadows on the rug. When the gun clicked instead of blasting, Benny stopped laughing. Like this guy's like a maniac. <laughs> this guy's yeah. Totally. He kind of blacked out for a minute there. Yeah. yeah. Then he, he'd had enough of their wallowing of their being scared. They're just like lying dead on the floor. I mean, he never went to war. He yeah. doesn't understand violence and how it works. Korea Jim understood when he realized the guy had the gun. He was like, whoa, we got to slow this down. Benny, it's it's a story in his mind. It's not, he doesn't understand the reality till he's done something that he can't undo. He's killed these people. He's like, get up. Like, oh, wait, you're dead. Well, he also like blame. He also it's also interesting, like how he blames them and the neighbors for this happening, right? Like it says after he shoots them, um, oh, yeah. the room is so quiet, he couldn't hear the beat of his heart. He didn't like it so quiet not at all and he starts telling them to get up and then the next page after that near the bottom he's like you know there's the italics about they should have come like the neighbors should have heard all the noise and like stopped it yeah. uh there's this really like uh really disturbing sort of lack of like awareness on this but you know he wants anybody else to be he was like projecting it all on everybody else that this was their problem not his you know to, mm-hmm. to fix this even though he was always the guy with the gun that's the whole story, right? He's projecting all of his problems and his and his uh, insecurities onto Korea Jim, um, and then everything is yeah, like you're saying, the neighbor's fault or it's this person's fault, you know. All right, you know what? I didn't like this story when I read it, but I've come around a little bit. <laughs> it's improving. There's meaning in take, there. Yeah, I, I will take issue with you. I don't think that actually Korea Jim is really the object of his disaffection let's say um i i think the other interesting psychological thing here is the the idea of um uh, ambivalence in the freudian sense like i think most people think the word ambivalent means like i have mixed emotions about something you know like i I like some things about this thing i don't like some other things you know it's like how kevin feels about the uh hit cinemax show banshee Uh, he likes it but not that much um don't ask him any questions about that either by email or on social media or in person just take my word for it um but in the Freudian sense, what it, like I think ambivalence really means is like it's more like you have two like opposite and extreme emotions uh, that are tied together in a way. How it works in this story is like he both loves Nan and hates her at the same time in like a very intense way. It's not mm-hmm. like there's like a middle ground there. He has mixed feelings about it. It's like he loves her, but he also hates uh, that uh, she could hurt him, right? At the same mm-hmm. time, like with this whole thing where she ditches him for Korea Jim. Um, and there's this interesting kind of thing where it's like at the beginning, he's trying to like project all that uh, uh, anger and disappointment on Korea Jim. But then like clearly when he gets there and she's like really mad at him and being like, why did you come here? Like I told you not to come. Like that's the thing that really hurts more than like 
anything Korea Jim does, which is, you know, he's like, he thinks Korea Jim's being a little patronizing, but the thing that really sets him off is Nan's declaration, like, I never want to see you again, right? And so you have this interesting uh, and disturbing kind of thing where, he, you know, the whole point of him being there is to get Nan back, uh, but he hates her at the same time <laughs> because uh, he can't have her, you know? Um, yeah, I see what you're saying. Although I will say... I haven't actually counted, but I would s- I would suggest he talks more about Korea Jim than he does about Nan. It's the oh, same kind sure. of thing where he's like he like admires and resents him. It's the same kind of ambivalence, I think. Korea Jim's in the place he wants to be in. It's he's become obsessive about it. <laughs> Stolen his girl. He's the hero. He's got, got the Les Brown records going. Yeah, that's <laughs> it. He knows music. He's got everything that Benny wishes he had. <laughs> he's jealous. He's and an endless supply of coke. Yeah, uh, so many cokes. <laughs> Another okay. There's there's one more thing where I feel like, I guess it's just because it's a short story. I think I just on a plot level, there's not much to this. It's just like guy's oh, got a yeah. gun. He's walking to a place. Something bad's gonna happen. Something bad happened. Yeah, <laughs> I mean seven pages. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So there's no twist. There's no surprise. You know, the only surprise is like that at the end, you find out that he didn't plan to sh- or. I think he did plan to shoot him, but at the end he thinks he didn't plan to shoot him in the first place. I think it's how confused his character is. Yeah. yeah. How how unable he is to like understand the consequences of his actions or put anything into perspective. I think that's just what it is like as you analyze it. It's like, yeah, he really can't appreciate the bigger picture at all. He doesn't understand that he's not the main character in the story, that he was the side guy. He was the side guy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's what it was. <laughs> He doesn't, he can't come to grips with that. Let's move on. Have a Coke. Take your licks, Benny boy. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Is there anything else you guys want to say or should we move on to our final judgments? Oh, I was just going to say this is also kind of like, I don't want to say this is like a precursor because I don't think it's really, like, I don't want to like hang any of this on Dorothy B. Hughes, but it's like, it sort of reminds me like you hear about like incels and vowel cells and sort of like, the, yeah. oh the, yeah, sort of totally like recent sort of like, I don't know. I don't want to say recent because I have a feeling, uh, unfortunately the fellows have always been like this. Um, but there's mm-hmm. like, you know, like on, at least as, you know, elaborated on social media and stuff like that, these kinds of like, uh, extremely like hateful and misogynistic, uh, uh, sort of uh, groups of men who uh, have these kinds of same perceptions of, of women and then commit like horrible atrocities against them. Like mm-hmm. reading this sort of felt like being in the mind of one of those guys. Um, totally. Put a hundred uh, bennies on a message board and right. what's going to happen? It's a disaster. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> how mass shooters are made. That's right. James you're uh you're our guest you get to go first okay. what was your final judgment of this story did you like it would you recommend it yeah i mean you could do a lot worse in seven pages after talking about it i've i appreciated it a little more maybe yeah first for rain to noir you could do a lot worse would you uh would you would you read more of this tile of fiction based on this uh the sampling yeah i mean it would have to be if it was longer, it would have to have more depth, obviously. But if it was longer, it would have more depth. Um, <laughs> yeah. I could entertain it. Sorry, when you say that, I'm just picturing like a 200-page <laughs> book of just like, of this Benny just walking to the house of this guy. <laughs> it's a long walk. Take a six-hour walk. Yeah. That could be a good book. It could be like all kinds of like stuff going wrong. It could be like good like slapstick comedy. 
falls into some bushes on the way. It's covered in brambles. Chased by some dogs. Um, Jacob? Uh, I like this. I don't know. I read it a few times because it doesn't take long to read. And, um, like, I agree. Like, the plot is kind of thin and, and you know, it's, it's incredibly short and concise in some ways. But I like the... Um, the execution of it and the effect it created in terms of the uh, warped psychology. I mean, this is uh, in many ways like uh, I don't want I don't want to like uh, uh, oversell this to our audience. This was deeply upsetting and unpleasant to read. <laughs> I just want to say that for a seven-page short story, this was uh, not the kind of thing that you you know you read and then you know uh, you swirl a nice glass of wine and then you, you go and have yourself a pleasant sleep. Uh, this is definitely some uh, nightmarish kind of stuff in in, in my opinion. Um, but I appreciated uh, uh, the twisted mind of Dorothy B. Hughes for for putting that together for us. I, I thought that was uh, pretty good. Sure. Let's see. I didn't... Hmm, my first impressions of this book were not very positive. <laughs> I say book, story. Um, as I said, like the most cliched opening sentence you could imagine. Uh, just short of, it was a dark and stormy night. Lots of language along that lines. That was awful. Virtually no plot. <laughs> like Nothing surprising happens. But you're right. There is something interesting about the way that the... the the language sort of mirrors Benny's uh, psychology and is like the kind of this kind of slipperiness of the language and kind of indirectness of it that I liked. And I do like your reading James where it's like this is this, this is like a side character and the side, like literally the side guy who's who's uh, telling the story and realize that like it's not his story, but he's kind of making it his story. So it's interesting. I'm intrigued and I will approach our Dorothy B. Hughes novel with <laughs> cautious optimism. Because if it's like, if the whole, if it's like 200 pages of, 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 of sentences like that, it's going to be a slog. <laughs> well, she wrote optimism. it many, many years later. So, uh, I can confirm it's quite different than the short story. I haven't read the whole thing. I've started reading it, but it's a, it's a very, it's, it's not, uh, you know, I, I, I don't want to like oversell it here. I don't want you to uh, be mad at me uh, when we read it later. And you're like, God damn it. It's so huge. And she's up to her same tricks. Um, <laughs> but uh, I, I, I think it, it, her novel length prose is a little different. Am I ever not mad at you during one of these recordings? No, never. It's, uh, it's what makes the <laughs> podcast tick. <laughs> That was the Rhetorizer. Was it the Rhetorizer? It was the Rhetorizer. Thank you, James, for joining us. Not a problem. Uh, John with an H and Roxanne will be back next time to read the Dorothy B. Hughes novel, The Expendable Man. Expendable Uh, Man. Man. This show is edited by me. Jacob is our professor of noirology. Uh, (laughs) John and Roxanne are not here. And if you want to reach us, uh, you can email us at ashowaboutbooks at gmail.com. You can follow us on Instagram at the Rhetorizer. Roxanne made some delightful little animations that you can watch up there. Have a Coke and a record and don't <laughs> change that dial. <laughs> Have a Coke about it. 